0: Hello, and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heaven Bound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds, but also preview what's to come this next weekend at Charlestown Road. Roger, this past Sunday morning, you wrapped up a series. You've been preaching on Sunday mornings. We have been working together in a chair series on Sunday nights. You wrapped up this series on the work of shepherding by focusing on life in the flock.
1: Yeah, what what we're trying to look at is just what does it mean, what does it look like to be a member of God's church? Uh, our focus this whole month of August has been on shepherding, how God's people are led, how God's church is organized. But we hear lots of things today about church life, and for some, it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. Some have a total misunderstanding. There's a lot of people out there who think that they don't need a church. All I need is Jesus. And that's really not what we read about in our New Testament. So what we try to build upon was the wonderful relationship we have first with the Lord, but then with his people, and how God leads us and helps us through his word. And, and there's there's some just uh, wonderful concepts that we need to build upon with that. Uh, I, I kind of referred to a book written by Philip Keller years ago. And Philip Keller was a, a shepherd in Israel. And he refers to Psalms 23 from a shepherd standpoint. And he talked about how sheep will not rest if there's tension in the flock or bugs in their ear or if they uh, have fear in their heart. And so the job of the shepherd was to deal with all those things. And so from, from the lesson, what we try to get us to see is that it's a wonderful fellowship. Uh, that you don't journey alone in life, that you have fellow brothers and sisters. The church is like a family. And that's, that's a concept I think the Bible really builds upon. And then just the abundance of opportunities and tools such as this podcast to grow my faith and to have God's word explained and taught to me. And then the, the guidance and the help we have from the shepherds. It's just, it's just, uh, all that shows us that we're not alone and, I'm there, and I have help, and I have help from heaven. I have help from God's messengers. All these things can help us as we try to work together in this. And so life in the flock is a wonderful idea when everyone is stepping up and doing what God wants them to do. We, like sheep, need guidance and nourishment, protection
0: and assurance. You highlighted those things for us, but you also brought out that we are not the first ones to need those things. Things. And one of your subpoints was just briefly looking at how Jesus shepherded the apostles. I thought here in the middle of the week, maybe that would be a point worth digging a little deeper in. We use that word, we hear that word apostles all the time. Before we get to how Jesus shepherded
1: them. What do we mean by the apostles? Absolutely. The word itself means one who's chosen or one who's sent. And sometimes it's designated in the gospel simply as the 12. There was 12 of them. Uh, symbolic of the 12 tribes, the 12 sons in the Old Testament. And Jesus chose them. There there was no, uh, you know, like a, some of our reality shows today, a competition and the best of the best made it. Jesus handpicked these 12. And these 12 were to uh, carry on the work he wanted them to do. They they would later on be uh, fulfilled with the Holy Spirit upon them. They would be the writers of the New Testament. And they would have the mission of taking the gospel into all the world. A lot fell upon their shoulders. And these 12 are 12 people that Jesus molded and shaped to help become this a vital link between him and that early church. I like how Peter
0: in Acts chapter one describes that link as we are witnesses of his resurrection. Not only had they walked with him for three years, but these were eyewitnesses of the greatest triumph in history. And of course, the job of an eyewitness is to share. Now, maybe we'll get a little bit more into that mission before we're done, But for the purposes of your sermon, you brought out how Jesus shepherded these men. We know that he leads them to ultimately a point where he can send them out as his chosen witnesses. But there's a lot of diversity amongst these men. And maybe that's a good place to start of, okay, as Jesus begins to shepherd them, was the diversity an obstacle? How did he navigate that? In fact, how did he leverage that for the
1: greater good? Yeah. And and in a lot of ways, what Jesus does with these 12 apostles is a little microcosm of the church today. Uh, we're not all the same, and nor, nor should we want everyone to be the same. We we have diversity among us, whether we talk about our backgrounds or our educational knowledge or how we came to the Lord. It, there's a little diversity there. So among those 12, there were two sets of brothers. Well, that, that that's going to be a, a close unit right there. Eleven of them were from Galilee. One was from Judea. Uh, among them, one was a political radical, a zealot, we would say, Another was a tax collector whom was not liked by any of the Jews. And so on paper, when we look at these 12, there are fishermen, there are tax collectors. There's some we don't even know what their occupations were. But we look at those 12 and we think, no, not a good mix. It, it's, uh, it, they're, they're two opposite each other. This, this is, has every reason to blow apart and fall apart. And we could see how they would all kind of despise the one from Judea, or they'd all turn their back on the tax collector, or how only the brothers would hang together and they'd have nothing to do with any of their others. And, and, and so when we look at that on the surface, it's not what we would have done. We would have had a big recruiting party. We would have kind of looked the best candidates. These guys were not poster boys for uh, the church in a lot of ways. They, they had not been pulled out of preacher schools, as we might think. Um, far as we know, most of them probably never even given a public lesson before in their lives. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. And, and yet to see what Jesus does with them is remarkable. And in three short years, he works with them and molds them and shapes them to become the powerful, powerful first preachers of the early church. And he does that by shepherding them. And what we see is even among us in the church today. We have people who are related. We have people who are not related. We have people who grew up in this community. They've been here all of their life. They're multi-generation in this life, in this community. There's others who moved in from afar, and they don't know anything about the, the history of this community or even the history of the congregation that is here. A lot of diversity. And a lot of times, a lot of reasons to split apart and pull apart and not be the unit God wants us to be. So when we look at Jesus... We see what he did with those people is what we can do today. And that's kind of the mystery behind all this. Seems like human nature a
0: lot of times is to segregate ourselves, right? Where, okay, these people with these things in common, we're going to go over in this direction, and different people with different things in common, different backgrounds, as you've mentioned, different ethnicities, variety of different things, we just naturally kind of gravitate towards Those we feel we have the most in common with, but I appreciate how you've drawn out. Okay. Jesus didn't have a west side of the shore of Galilee group and a north side and an east side or a south side. He he didn't have a, a Judean group of apostles and a Galilean and a Samaritan group of apostles. He intentionally creates this diversity within this group, calls this group all at the same time to follow him. They are traveling together. They are eating together. They are stopping and staying in the same places together. It's hard for us to imagine some of the conversations that maybe at times would have gotten a little tense, but I completely agree with you that this is not just a historical note of what Jesus did but he is teaching by this so that by the time we get into the acts of the apostles the epistles of the new testament we don't have a a jewish church and a gentile church we don't have a rich church and a poor church or a, a this speaking church and a that speaking church over there no it's it is one church with one head, with absolutely incredible diversity. There are disciples of Jesus today around the world who would have no idea how to understand the language you and I are speaking right now, and yet they are equally created in God's image, equally heirs of the kingdom of Jesus Christ it is incredible diversity that began to be modeled right there amongst these men. Now, it didn't always go smoothly, right? This was a work in progress.
1: Absolutely. And, and as we see very early in the gospel pages, as this begins, Jesus chooses them. Now, we, we notice immediately he doesn't choose another set of twelve. He doesn't say, okay, if you guys don't work out, I'm going to bench you. Uh, it was all on them. And that's how Jesus intended it. There was no varsity and JV. There's no guys on the bench and these are the guys on the field. This is it among them. But, but we notice right away they had a lot of attitude problems. Uh, multiple times in the gospels, there's this discussion, really a dispute among them. Who is the greatest? And, and you can see it pulled different directions. Um, there was that inner circle, Peter, James, and John, how they might have thought that they were the best. It seems like whenever we see the list of the apostles, Peter's name is always first. Maybe Peter thought he was the greatest of all of them. Completely missing that Jesus described himself as humble and gentle in heart. And so that very idea was an attitude that had to be reshaped by Jesus. Uh, we're not about power here. We're not about structure. We're not about who's in charge. We're about following Jesus. And so, you know, the very first step was was kind of backwards for them. And I, and I could just see Jesus getting frustrated, saying, why are you guys talking this way? Because that's not the way it's supposed to be. But that's how it started. There were also attitude problems toward other people. And again, that that was common in that day as it is today. Uh, Jesus goes to Samaria, and they are shocked that he's in Samaria, let alone talking to a woman in Samaria. There were times when there were great crowds around, and the voice of these apostles were send these people home. Uh, Syrophoenician, a Gentile woman comes to Jesus begging that the Lord helps her demon-possessed daughter. And the disciples say, send her away. Constantly, they they had the attitude, get rid of these people, send them away. And that was an attitude that had to change. And so as Jesus begins this work, there's a lot of attitudes he had to work with. On top of that, there was faith issues. Several, several times, five times in the Gospel of Matthew alone, Jesus would rebuke this group of 12 for having little faith. When Peter got out and started walking on the water, he started to sink, and the Lord would say, O ye of little faith. They had to have incredible faith to be able to do what Jesus wanted them to do. So to start with, that's what Jesus had to do. He had to work with these things. And he had to work with where they were and move them out from where they were to where they needed to be.
0: It strikes me that, okay, we can read that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but many of the exact same struggles... We read about in the book of Acts, after Jesus' ascension. We read about it in the epistles. As you were talking about their sense of rivalry and division, it made me think of what the apostle Paul had to write to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, listen to this by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Jesus, at that point, was seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. His work on earth had been accomplished But the same work needed to continue to happen among human beings all the way over in Corinth. I think we could easily draw a line straight from Corinth all the way to where we are today. The same appeal is made in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The same Jesus that shepherded these men who were very much works in progress. So, Roger, maybe a a good last few minutes to spend our time is maybe just looking into, okay, we understand who these men were. They were wildly diverse from a first century point of view. They were very much works in progress, attitudes in progress, faith in progress. When you think of how
1: Jesus shepherded them What comes to your mind? Well, what we see real quickly, first and foremost, is that Jesus was with them. He was an example. Over and over, they were watching Jesus. I mean, that comes out in John chapter 1, comes out in the writings of all the, all the apostles, all the gospels, how they saw Jesus. And so they see how Jesus deals with critics. They see how Jesus deals with opposition. We see that Jesus is pulled to come over here to help this person. We see Jesus uh, answering questions. And over and over, they're watching the example of Jesus. And what they see is a compassionate, loving Savior. And what they what they never see, what you never read in the Gospels, Jesus saying, "I'm sorry, I'm too busy today." He never said that. He never said, um, "You're bugging me, get away from me." He never said that. And so that would start changing their attitudes. If the Master is Jesus, and we're following Jesus, and He's acting that way, why are we talking about who's the greatest? It doesn't matter. What we need to be focusing on is how can we help other people? And so his example was with him every single day, and they saw that sinless perfection over and over again.
0: The way he interacted with little children, the way he interacted with women, the way he interacted with known sinners, the outcasts, people that uh, no one had time or interest in, Jesus not only taught with his mouth these men, he showed them, and by his example, he is teaching them, this is how you are to treat others. Okay, so he was an example to them. What else would you add?
1: Well, he was patient with them, and that—that that, that uh, is so telling right there, is Is—is that time and time again when something come up, The apostles would say the wrong thing rather than the right thing. They would sometimes do the wrong thing rather than the right thing. And we don't find Jesus really just giving up on them. Now, he gets frustrated with them sometimes. He challenges them multiple times. He questions their faith a few times. But he never says, go home. I'm done. He never does that. He never gives up on them. And that patient patient example and teaching, you know, that's that's the core of the word disciple is the idea I am being mentored by someone. And so Jesus was the master, they were the apprentice, and they were learning from Jesus. And then of course, underlying all that is the teaching of Jesus. He was always teaching them. And as he taught the multitudes, he was teaching them. Some of the parables uh, were directed toward the apostles. Some of the examples he did was for the apostles to see. I think some of the things as we, we get to some difficult uh, stories in our Bibles, such as a Syrophoenician woman where he uh, refers to feeding the children first and not the dogs. I, I think the reason why he delayed in that story was to teach them the resurrection of Lazarus. He delayed that on purpose, I believe, to teach the apostles. And so all through this, he's teaching them and teaching them and teaching them and showing them. And through that, they begin to change and mold. And that's what we do even today within the church.
0: You know, as someone is driving down the road, listening to this or mowing the grass, maybe it's easy to think, well, that was Jesus. Those were the apostles a long time ago. But one of the things I love about this sermon series from throughout the month of August is we've tried not just to talk about Jesus, we've tried not even just to talk about shepherds within the context of a local church, but we've talked about parents as being shepherds in their home, each one of us as individuals being examples that could be followed by someone who doesn't know Jesus in order to be led closer to Jesus. It reminds me of what God, through Moses, told the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. That that, that speaks to the example, right? You're going to show that, and then you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. This is to be who you are. This is to be the the life you are leading, as you highlighted from your sermon. You want the life that you're living to match the teaching that you're teaching, right? And then use these ordinary examples All around us. That's how hearts are changed. Hearts aren't changed by one 30 minute sermon on a Sunday morning. It can prick a heart, can maybe wake a heart up a little, but hearts are changed through the power of examples, patient mentors that will lead us along
1: the way, teaching us with their mouths. And by their examples, and, and we understand that other avenues of life. If if we had a child and that child had never ever been in a swimming pool, but the next day he was going to go swimming, you wouldn't just give him a book the night before and say, "Here, read this," <laughs> and then then expect him to go off the deep end. No, uh, one of the things you do is you're going to give him lessons. You're going to let him see. You're going to let him be taught and see the example. And so that's that's how it works for Jesus and the apostles. That's what works today. And that's what makes everything so special. We are to be one mind and one voice even though we have a lot of differences, we're supposed to be united in Christ.
0: Life in the Flock.
1: If you weren't
0: able to be with us on Sunday, if you haven't watched or already listened to that sermon, or any of the sermons from August, I would certainly encourage you to go back and revisit those. CharlestownRoad.org is where they are, as well as our sermon podcast feed. Roger, thank you for that very important and practical series over the course of the last month. Speak. Speaking of wrapping things up, we are also wrapping up this evening at 7 o'clock p.m.,
1: our 2022 Wednesday evening summer series. We started this very first Wednesday in July, and here we are the last Wednesday in August. And nine speakers later. Nine speakers. And our theme has been the hymn in Christ alone. It's been a wonderful, wonderful series. Our friend Ricky Jenkins is speaking tonight, and his lesson is Here in the power of Christ I stand. This should be just a wonderful lesson for us as we wrap this powerful series up, and we encourage all of our listeners to either listen to it online or be with us as we kind of wrap this wonderful series up. I have the
0: privilege, Lord willing, of preaching this Sunday morning. In our daily Bible reading, we've been walking through the book of Judges, and we just are about to open up this section where we read all about Samson, and a lot of attention. Gets put on Samson and lessons we can learn from him. I actually want to start before Samson was born, and my plan is to focus on two great questions asked by Samson's father. Whomever you are, these are questions that touch on you, why you're here, your relationship with God. We would love to see you at 9.30 a.m. Roger, you're going to be speaking to us at 5 o'clock p.m.
1: Yes, and we're going to take a statement from Romans chapter 1 where Paul desired to go to Rome, and in a prayer, he basically says, whatever it takes. That's a great statement. We're going to talk about what that really means. Roger,
0: thanks for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening to this week at Charlestown Road. We would love to see you for the conclusion of our summer series this evening. It's 7 o'clock p.m. We're already looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the week. We would love to have you come and grow with us.